and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. Today we'll see helpful details on the promised crown of life. The Lord Jesus Christ had nothing to correct in the ancient church at Smyrna, but that particular church was pressured, the church was poor, and the church was persecuted. These things were first revealed when the ancient church of Smyrna was addressed. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. The crown of life is the crown which is life. The crown which is life is the reward which is life, and that's Christ's eternal righteous life. And when you see that Christ's eternal life is given to you as your greatest reward of grace, it makes that eternal life with Jesus in heaven much, much, much more important to you than the mansion he's built for you in heaven. You can have a mansion in heaven, and if Jesus Christ isn't there, then it's not heaven. We could have less than a mansion in heaven, and with the Lord Jesus Christ presencing himself there, that would be enough. But the grace of God is we get both. And so the crown of life is the crown which is life. Verse 9, going back. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. How are they rich? And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They were rich back then because they had the sure prospect of the crown, which is life. We are rich now because we have the sure prospect of the crown, which is life. They were rich amidst their material poverty because they had the sure hope of heaven with Jesus Christ forever and ever. We are rich not because we're Americans, but because we have the sure prospect of a home in heaven with the risen and glorified Savior if we're saved. Now going down to verses 10 and 11, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. These verses call us, the original readers and us today, to two things. These verses call us first to attention and second to application. In the first place, back then, Jesus Christ was telling the church at Smyrna, prison awaits many of you. He told them back then that more persecution is coming on the church and it will last for 10 days. Now my hermeneutic or my understanding of how to interpret scripture is that when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense or you'll be left with nonsense. When God says something was going to happen back then for 10 days, I believe he meant for 10 days they were going to be imprisoned intensely and suffer additional persecution. So that was the attention. That's coming down the track. The fact that Jesus could know the 10 days were coming and that they would only be 10 days and not 11 or 12 or 9 tells you that he's sovereign. And by telling them that this future 10 days of persecution would be short and bearable and temporary and limited, it proved his sovereignty. It's sort of like when your child needs four impacted wisdom teeth taken out by the dentist, and maybe your child has never had a surgery before that surgery. You can tell her it's going to hurt for about seven to eight days, and then you'll be good to go. Cheeseburgers that 
Wayback Burger, steaks, you're all good. Just put up with the pain for the gain. Just put up with the pain for seven, eight days. Do what the dentist tells you. It'll be all right. So Jesus was calling the ancient church of Smyrna to that kind of attention about this 10 days of further persecution. The second thing he was calling them to is application. And so we want to do every time we preach God's word, not just tell you what it means, but talk about what difference should it make. And what the fact of their knowledge of the 10 days coming should have meant back to them, according to Jesus, was resist fear. Realize that the testing you're going to get, you can pass. Remain faithful. Christ has no rebuke for this church at Smyrna. Christ has no correction to give to the believers in ancient Smyrna. Not a thing. He only has commendation and encouragement. Imagine the all-knowing and all-holy Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, said to a local church in Smyrna, I have nothing to correct you about. But will you notice that this church that Jesus would not alter, this church which Jesus didn't need to correct, this church which was unimproved on a human level, was pressured. It was poor. It was persecuted. It was not at ease. This week, a friend of mine told me about a book. I've not read the book yet. I've seen the synopsis of the book. It's called The Insanity of God. The Insanity of God is written by Nick Ripkin, which is a pseudonym, because Nick Ripkin and his wife and children went to answer God's call to missionary service in Somalia, and they were there six years. Nick calls Somalia hell on earth. He said when they arrived in the region of Somalia they went to be missionaries in, you could take all the Somalian born-again believers and fit them into a small country church in Kentucky. And six years after ministering the word of God in a place he called hell on earth, the number of born-again believers in the same region of Somalia could fit into one pew of a country church in Kentucky. They'd gone backwards. Further, their son died of an asthma attack, unable to get to a hospital to treat him in time. And so the missionaries who went on the field believing that you could be no safer place than the center of God's will for your life, their faith in Jesus was rocked. And they left the field shaken. In recovering, spiritually recovering, Nick felt that God wanted him to do something to seek out 700 born-again Christians who are suffering persecution in various ways and places in the earth. And he interviewed 700 persecuted Christians. He asked, one of the questions he asked was, would you want God to stop the persecution? 700 out of 700 said no, they wouldn't. Do you know why? Because in persecution, like Smyrna experienced, and we're going to experience in America, in persecution, we see more of Jesus and less of stuff. More of Jesus and less of ourselves. Ripken concluded that the American evangelical church has Oprah, and the suffering persecuted church around the world has Jesus. And so the insanity of God is that those who would look on that situation and see people being persecuted and say, they're on the bottom of the heap. In actuality, the prosperous and unaffected through persecution church is on the bottom of the heap, and the persecuted church is on the top of the heap. 
the sanity of God. But you know, when you come to persecution or even inconvenience, it's not very popular for any of us, right? I mean, how would you be as a first-time visitor this morning if one of the greeters said to you, welcome, expect to be slandered along with the rest of us? Welcome, just count on losing your job and your homes. The majority of us have. Welcome, you'll be treated like pond scum wherever you go in Milford, just like we are. Welcome, probably you'll be buried in the Milford Cemetery as our other brothers and sisters have been because of Christ and standing for Jesus. I wonder if church hoppers would hop right past the church. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I am the youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And today on Youth Talk, we want to talk about how do we view God? And when we consider the worldview of God and how we consider that what the world says God is, and, you know, many people will tell you that God was a good teacher or a prophet or you know, many different religions even will talk about God. And even in our own lives, sometimes we have gods, which we are idols, whether it be um, cell phones, whether it be internet, whatever it may be. But today we want to talk about how do I as an individual view God? And we need to ask ourselves this question because the way we view God is going to determine a lot about how we go about in our daily walk. You see, every one of us has a God view. It's what comes to our mind when we think about God. It's who we believe God is and how we believe God interacts with us personally and with our world. Our God view affects everything we do. But here's the reality. We don't instantly know everything about God. In fact, we never really know everything about God. Instead, God is constantly revealing himself to us through the relationship that we have through his creation. He reveals himself every single day to us in different ways. And you may be a uh, you know, teenager listening this morning, and you may say, well, I don't know as much as an adult, or even sometimes as a, a young person, you know more than an adult because you have a God view. You are focused on what God has for your life. Because let's be honest, that a lot of us in our, our, our world, in our country, we don't view God as this big God. We call on God. We are very religious where we talk about God to whatever functions that we have, but we don't really have a God view. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, said this, and this is a quote that I think that as we think about this quote um, for the next couple of weeks, we are going to focus around this and we're going to think about it more because it's important for us to think about. And he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say it again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Again, he's not saying that Sports is the most important thing, or education, or um, whatever it may be that we, we think is the most important thing. But he says what we think about God. Because he understands that God is sovereign. God is in control of everything. God oversees everything. So we need to understand that if we have a high view of God, then things will, we will view people, we will view everything around us differently. You see, our perception determines our reality. The way we perceive things determines how we will act. Wrong perceptions lead to wrong responses. Our perceptions about God are the most important thing about us and determine how we will live. You see, if we have a high view of God, if we're not putting God in a box, because that's what a lot of us like to do, 
then we need to understand that our whole view of, of everything around us will change. And you see, we need to understand that this isn't just something that we struggle with today as we think of how we view God. But we need to understand that as we think of, of even in the Bible, as even um, Peter, Simon Peter, one disciples was talking in Matthew 16, 13 through 16. This is what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, Simon Peter, and as we see the different people there, as they even saw Jesus walk on the face of the earth, they saw him, they still had questions of who this man truly was. You see, we need to understand that as we go throughout our Christian walk, we are going to have doubts. We're going to have questions. We are going to have so many things that come to us, and, and we're going to struggle with so much that we need to understand as Simon Peter that no matter what, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when we consider that and we put that in our perspective of how we view God and we say that God is the Son of the living God, that God is sovereign, He is in control, it helps you to understand. You know, for me in my life, um, you know, this is what changed my whole perspective in life because when I understood that God was sovereign, that He was in control and things happened in my life, I was able to say, you know what, God had a purpose for that. God had a reason for that. God did not, it wasn't a mistake. It was not just something by chance. And it helped me to deal with different things that came in my life, whether it be deaths in the family, whether it be that I was told that I would not be able to have biological children. Those struggles, even though it was hard because I saw people around me who was not living right, who were doing what they want, it was tough. But when I get a grasp on understanding that God is sovereign, he's in control, and whatever he has for my life is to bring honor and glory to him, then I have to sit back and say, you know what? He is the son of God. He is in control. He is sovereign. And whatever it is, he wants for my good. I may not like it, but it is for my good to bring honor and glory to him. And you see, in, in our lives, we need to understand that we remember God in the good times. But we almost feel as if God has forgotten us in the bad times. But the same God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Whether we are going through the best times of our lives, we can count on God. Whether we're going through the worst times of our lives, we can count on God. And we need to understand that as you grow and mature, your view of God is going to grow. You see, as a born-again believer, we shouldn't stay in one place. We shouldn't just view God as the God who, you know, just died for my sins and he rose again, which is a great view. But we need to understand that God is even more than that. What God has done, God has showed us exactly what we, what he has done and how, when we think of his word, what his word represents. It's the gospel from page to page. And, you know, just in closing, when I think of this, and, and we just uh, recently come off our, our vacation Bible school here, and we talked about how God has made each one of us for a purpose. And one of the great things of, of each point that we had and we talked about was this. It's that every single time we would say that God is for us, or God made you, or God made you for a purpose, the response was, wow, God. 
wow God. Because I think that we have lost that whole aspect of we become wow of God. You see, we throw a word around in, in our circles, awesome. But for me, I believe there's only one thing that is awesome, and that is God. I don't think that ice cream is awesome. I don't think that pizza is awesome. I don't think that a nice crack kong dinner is awesome. But I believe that God is awesome. And I think that when we consider the God of the universe, when we consider a country that we live in, when we see the beautiful waters and the creation around us, we should have a high view of God because our God is truly awesome. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, this morning, I'm very pleased to have Dr. Marlene Heiler in the studio with me. Good morning. Good morning. Dr. Heiler has been used of God to co-found the New Providence Classical School here in Nassau. And also, she is a professionally trained Christian counselor. So I also know that um, you have a special love for uh, <laughs> persons that are in need, and particularly that in your past, when the need uh, arose, that you actually invited a woman into your home to uh, help her. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that. Turns out that there's been, there have been multiple women How to tell you about that. Well, one of them, one of them was at the time when I received the phone call, she was a 19 year old woman. She was 19 years old and they told me she had been a prostitute for seven years. Mm. So I calculated that means she became a prostitute at the age of 12. Wow. And as I began to pray, to be honest, I don't think I completed praying. I just realized sometimes you have to be the answer to your own prayers. Mm. That young woman came to live with me. And I remember the first seven days, it was the first time she'd went seven days without drugs. Wow. So her pimp used to give her either marijuana or cocaine or drug her in some way mm -hmm. for her to function. Mm -hmm. So it was the first time that she went without drugs. I learned a lot from that particular experience. I learned how to listen better without wincing because every other word was a curse word. Yes. And when she described her life, I learned that, that there were things Things happening in the world that I was not aware of, yes. that what I had learned in Christian school and Christian college, I did not learn everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned to rely on the Holy Spirit. I really learned to rely on the Holy Spirit. Two things st stood out as I got to know that young woman, and I'll tell you about the others real quickly. But I learned that when you counsel some people or work with some people, they've been so traumatized, you can't close the door. Wow. So she would, if you're in a room with her, the door had to be open. So that was humbling to me. Indeed. I also learned that some people, you know, you some Christians walk around with their Bible, especially they feel as if they're more spiritual, the bigger it is. <laughs> I learned that that Bible has wounded some people. Some people have used the word of God um, to wound some people. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, this young lady knew by the time she came to me she had just turned 20 she knew she was running away from her pimp and so she worked really really hard she ran away on a saturday night so she worked really really hard that saturday night all the way until dawn the next morning so she was leaving her hotel 
or leaving the hotel of a John and going either to another hotel or going home, when she met a man with the Bible, and that man with the Bible was propositioning her. Oh. I say prostitute. And so I said, well, that kid, you know, I was trying to cover up for the pastor. Like, that can't be the pastor. That had to be either like the lead deacon or the warden of the church, the person who would open up the church mm-hmm. early on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting, I told her that was God working because she ran. She had never, in her seven years on the street, she had never seen someone bring a Bible. <laughs> and here it is, someone propositioning her for sex with a Bible. I said, you know, the women... There were a group of women praying about starting this particular ministry. And I said, that was the women praying. And they were praying so hard. These women of God were praying so hard. She literally saw a Bible. And when she saw a Bible, she ran Mm. and she left her pimp. Wow, what a story. That was one young woman. (laughs) That sovereignty of God in her life and and the mercy of God, the answer to prayer. Wow. Tell us about another (laughs) house guest you might have had. This house guest, I just call, I, I literally called her because you asked me about people who have stayed with me. And I asked her, did being with me have any impact on you? So she, she sent me a long letter mm-hmm. and she sent me another letter of someone who was impacted by her. And so I tried to unpack some of the things she said she learned. Wonderful. And one of the things she said she learned was grace. And how just to be, because she said she grew up in a, an abusive home mm-hmm. and it was a performance based home. Mm-hmm. And so you had to be a certain way to get loved. Mm. And um, that was a that's another complex story. But she said being with me was like a breath of fresh air. Oh, wow. She learned about grace and acceptance. She felt liberated. Wonderful. Now, this was interesting. This particular young woman. When she came to me, it was at a time when you talk about burnout. Yes. I was on the verge of burnout when I realized I needed to pull back. I can't Mm -hmm. keep giving and giving and pouring and pouring and not allowing the Lord to pour back into me. Mm -hmm. And so I was it was going to be a year when I was quiet, more quiet, when a, a pastor who knew my commitment to the Lord. Yes asked me. So it was kind of awkward. And so I prayed about it, but I accepted her, but I was honest. And I shared with her, I said, now I'm the type of roommate, you could come home and meet the table spread. You know, you could meet petals on the floor, you know. (laughs) So I had to learn balance and boundaries. And I learned that I could love without going 150% or 200%. So I had to learn to love within limits. And I had to learn, both of us were roommates, but we had separate lives. I had to allow her to be. So it wasn't as entwined as it could have been if we were typical roommates. She was engaged also. She was a young missionary. She was engaged. And I could sense as we were together She was learning how to be a better wife. Mm. She was learning how to love her future husband. Yes. And as I got her email last week, that's certainly what happened. She learned to love people unconditionally. And she learned the gift of hospitality. 
No doubt. And she has turned around, and she now does that for other members of the body of Christ. Wow, that's such a great story. And so really, what I'm hearing you say in both of the case examples you've had, that the women you took in learned a lot, but you also learned a lot. I did. Yes, yes, I did. Fantastic. What kind of um, faith did it require? How did your faith muscle have to grow doing this? Hmm. That's a very good question. I had to learn to focus on the Lord Mm -hmm. and not what I knew. So I guess I learned that faith is a moment-by-moment thing. Mm -hmm. I can't rely on yesterday's faith. Mm -hmm. For instance, when um, the lady that was a prostitute, she ran away several times. So one time when she ran away, I had to call someone in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I had to call someone in the middle of the night. I called two families in the middle of the night, and both both families came. One was a mom, Annette Trotter came with her son, and Mary Frances Bowley and her husband came. And Mary Frances, to this day, she says, Marlene, you know how to have a party. You actually <laughs> had a party in the middle of the night. <laughs> so we were, se- we were helping this young w- woman know that God is fun and God is present. And we celebrated her in the middle of the night. But my faith grew because, you know, it took a step of faith to call people in the middle of the night. Yes. I also had to know that this, what was going on in the house is beyond me. And I'm a single woman and I needed help. Yes. My faith muscles grew also because uh, not everyone taken a prostitute because she has a pimp somewhere. Yeah. And your life could be in danger. Yeah. So I learned to trust God. Mm -hmm. I also learned to be wise. We had to help her know that she could not let her family know where my house was. Yes. And so sometimes, and since this has happened, I'm now aware, I've seen safe places where there's no name on the door because the pimp or whomever these young women are running from can't know where the place is. No. And so so I learned how to trust God and not necessarily an agenda or what I knew. Thank you so much. That is, those are such uh, powerful stories and powerful assessments of what God was doing in in the midst of those particular stories. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.